Just a quick message before the show begins. We're a year in now and I've really enjoyed doing this and I hope you've been enjoying it too. If you have, then please like and share the content and get in touch with any thoughts and feedback and hopefully we can keep growing the show and getting more incredible guests. Thanks and back to the show. I'm Adam Gow, the DJ formerly and sometimes currently known as Waxon. Welcome to the Once a DJ podcast. DJing and DJ culture have been a huge part of my life for better or worse. They've given me a massive buzz at times and loads of stress at others and taught me a load of valuable lessons along the way. On this podcast I speak to DJs from around the world who've made the names when it was just about skills and selection, not social media followers. We'll discuss their journey through Ascendancy and what part it plays in their life now. Whether they're still on the scene, said goodbye to the decks forever, or still get a sneaky mix in when life gives them the chance. Whatever road they've travelled, they were always once a DJ. Welcome back to Once a DJ. On this episode, we pick up where we left off with Dan Baxter, aka Peter Parker. We ended part one at the point of Dan touring with the Grand Central Band and finger things starting to take shape. In the words of Dan himself, let's go. So at what point with the touring, was it whilst you were on tour that you realised, right, we need to do an album an album of this, or was it Mark that suggested it? That's that's Mark, that's all Mark, that's his, that's his view, you know. I think what essentially the first thing that Mark took away was like him offering us that opportunity to d- do whatever it was that we were making up straight away so it was like okay you're now going to go on the road and you know which was another new experience but then like um you and sneak are going to do this thing uh or you know if you're willing you're going to do this and my mindset at that time was like you know tony had this my beat so like i was a bit like right when we go on we're going to kick everyone's ass no one no one's gonna you know and so it was and that was my mindset and and that was that was the response that happened so like on face value mark was just like what the fuck have i stumbled on here these guys like this is this is gold i don't even know what it is we didn't know what it was but the response from the crowds and that was it was mental it was mental it's it's and, I, and that's not just me saying that like I, i've just from from my, my memory of the times particularly in scotland you know when we were going all these people because the gigs were big anyway like you know like mark putting on this opportunity for people to see like tony d and he's just done his album and like yz and that that and us you know it's crazy but we didn't have a name yet or anything it was just this peter parker and this sneaky part of the band and um over those coming months that was yeah mark was like you know um you, you need to make some more you need to make some more beats i'm going to facilitate it so that you can so that you can do this and <clears throat> i moved to manchester and then in my flat all of a sudden i had Ma- yeah mark had this emu 32 sampler midi keyboard i had a sketchy old atari st that i got off my mate dibbins that didn't even have the internal disk drive it was so old <laughs> it had like a five inch floppy drive which plugged into it i don't give a shit you know it was just like however whatever I can do to, to, to get this happening. I don't know. And and yeah, Sneak was like, I know how to use Cubase. I was like, this is meant to be. And that's all I, I was ever saying to him, you know, it's like, I don't know, like how the hell have we gotten here? This is meant to be, this is, this is you know. And, and you know what? Sneak was like, I believe it too. 
You know, it wasn't just like me. I had to blag him into it. He was the most interesting person I'd ever met in my entire life, you know, and uh, immediately. And, and I think maybe there was elements of that with me for him because we were so different. You know, we come from really different backgrounds. Um, and uh, yeah, like within months, it was like he started bringing around records. I had this sketchy little collection that I'd gotten together. And it, it didn't, like at that time, like I hadn't had any other tuition. I hadn't had any other, I just had this belief that I knew what sounded good. So I'm going to go through all these records and I don't care if as long as I've not heard it before, that means no one's used it. Hold it, you know, and I'll make, I'll make the stuff. And then <clears throat> we used to record, make these little demos and then record them onto a mini disc and, uh, and then play the mini disc in front of everyone when we get on the bus to go to the next gig. So we immediately like, it was like, oh, it's deep, man, but it's like, just like having these friends, which I immediately saw as family because I was learning so much from them. Like I was tw 20, 21, and there was like Danny Ward, Chris Crooks, these percussionists who were, you know, touching 30. One of them was like mid thirties and that. I, and I loved it. I loved being around people who were older because I wanted to learn, you know, all this stuff. And just immediately they were like teaching me about digging, about drumming, about jazz and all this stuff. And that was Sneak's background because mine was just hip hop and metal. So that's all I had. There's a lot of attitude and not much else. Do you know what <laughs> I mean? And that's that, and that's the truth. That's the truth, you know? I mean, I had the raw ability, but it was all so raw because it was all so new, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So what was what was the process like with the album? Did it did it take a while doing the first album or was it like bosh bosh bosh? Right, so what happened was at that time, um when I was talking about the eardrum night that was going on at Collider with the double bass and the drummer playing over the tunes and that, the drummer was a guy called James Ford. Right? And James Ford now is possibly, dare I say, like the like the sort of George Martin of producers right now. He had like, I think three of the uh, Mercury Music nominated artists. He produced three of the albums. Like this guy is just, and it, he had the talent then, but it, now he has become, if you see what I mean. And um, what it was was like, oh, James is, uh, James is doing some production now. Why don't you go in with him? And between him and Sneak, there was just this massive level of trust um because they've been already playing and doing all this they were great friends and uh i just slotted into that you know i just slotted into that i just wanted to be around people who were fucking my talented and just uh, had you know try and soak it up um and be myself but just very very eager and um yeah there was this place in disbury and so there's a group called uh simeon he'd started this group called Simeon and was producing their album at the time. Uh, we actually did an EP first. Right, let me just rewind a little bit. Before the EP, there was a tune called Atomic Drop. It was like Central Heating. So Central Heating 2 was uh, Grand Central's sequel to Central Heating 1, which was a big compilation showcase yeah. for all the artists on the label, yeah? We'd been touring and doing all this stuff and slotted in. It's like, right, Central Heating 2's coming up do you want to do a tune to go on that? We're like, fuck yeah, let's go, you know. How, how are we going to facilitate this? And it was James, he was like the sort of missing piece. Um, 
in terms of like how can we get together and record something um it, but it was the same principle of like we took i, I don't think i don't think we had a, a demo it wasn't like oh i've made, made this and you got to go and record it in a studio we went with ideas and i think that's how he wanted it as well because he wanted to like co-produce so it wasn't like you know we've got this idea we go in and he kind of you know polishes it down and like takes off the raw edges and you know uh, uh makes it like this lovely finished product it was more like us just going in with like a load of audio lego and then we get into his room and we just start building and you know it's like oh dan what are you into oh, i love arcade games uh kung fu films uh wrestling <laughs> comics cartoons you know uh metal and uh yeah and uh sneak is just like right well i've got a double place i can pl- have a grade eight cellist <laughs> It's fucking like, oh my God, you know, and yeah, we just set about like, right, let's throw a load of that in. And um, I ended up using like a, a, just various bits and bats, you know, various uh, parts. And we, we literally just like, I wouldn't say cobbled because I don't think that's the right, like we had the intention of making something killer, you know, so that's not cobbling, is it? No, did you... When you were making it, did you have conversations and kind of break it down in a way of like, okay, we're building this thing, but if we build it like this, this is how we can play it out? Uh, yeah. So, you, yeah, you definitely, like, when we when we would go out and do the, the stuff on tour with um, Ray and Christian and whatnot, all I really had to use at that point was kind of scratch records. You know, mm. they're the ones that have the sounds on. And they're the ones that have the sounds on with the bits that I need next to each other. It's not just, you know, so at that point, that was actually all I could really go and use because that was all I really had access to that would be, um, how could you say, like a producer's perspective, but from behind turntables. So to be able to put something together and yeah, that was, that was always like, um, yeah, I guess like a stipulation, you know, we want to be able to do this, but I think at that time, I was just so sucked into like the scratch pickles and the, and seeing them scratch drums, mate. Do you know what I mean? Seeing them scratch drums, it just changed everything. Like I, because I started to see almost all the sounds. I wanted to just do the same patterns that I would do when I would scratch drums and stuff like that. And then you just kind of find the more that you start listening to all these different sounds, some apply better to you know certain ones than to others and it's just like a process of elimination until you find whatever it is that you're tweaking it just sounds sick you know <laughs> like wow you know it just sounds sick yeah i think listening back to it you can really hear the kind of scratch pickles influence yeah. particularly mark because it's got that yeah. like cinematic thing to it as well it well it like so the yeah like the thing about it is like i was into all of that shit when I was growing up from my own volition, like when I like the Jeff Love records and the Jaws themes and the string orchestration and everything that's some of my oldest memories there was a Japanese girl that came, (laughs) unfortunately for her, to my school for a bit and uh, they were showing creature features of the Godzilla films. So me and a couple of the other nerds who were like bang into that, they were showing them on Channel 4 like late on a, on a Friday night. 
I was obsessed with like clocking these. I fucking love them. And then we befriended the Japanese girl and we'll get her to write the names of the Godzilla films in Japanese because we just thought it looked sick. But we had no idea how to do it. Do you know what I mean? And then you get bollocked for like ruining the lesson and fucking doing her edding or I don't know, ruining it for her or I don't know, whatever. But like all these things, what Mike did was like um, introduce like, nah, you could look at it like this. You know, like the way that he does everything is different. Any like, it's like, and then, so on that Rissa Fiori, I saw that and he's like showing bits of Gamera films. I had no idea about Gamera and I didn't know what that was and a bit of an Ultraman film as well. Um, but And I'm like, what's going on? I love all these like creature features. Like how come I haven't seen that stuff? Because it's just not had access to Japanese telly. You know, like they are, yeah. you know, uh, apart from like Battle of the Planets and all the, uh, you know, the, the stuff that did come like direct from Japan that everybody knows uh, in the UK. But um yeah, monster films. I think Channel Four just thought it was like a niche thing, so say they would just show it. But it became like a new obsession when that started. Um, yeah. So, so something else I wanted to ask you about on the first album, and this is kind of getting a bit granular, but I think it's a really interesting one. Is like you fly me. Is that the biggest tune on the album? Certainly downloads wise. Um. And that's a tune that's not got any scratching on. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. So for you in recording that, are you like... So it's kind of like Ringo knew to not go mental, right, when he was doing fills and stuff. Like, he knew when he didn't need to be there. Were you like, this doesn't need me? Or like, what? Like how, how was it for you? Or... or was it someone else's idea for you not to cut on it? No, it wasn't that. It's just like, I... So... I just brought the drums. The drums, in it, they, they, they are like, I remember when I heard them in the shop, uh, it's just like this, sometimes, yeah, when you're in the shop and you're like just buying, I'll, it's like being at a scene to the future, like that, this, uh, like it's an instant love affair with just this bit of audio, whatever, and it's like, I'm, this is gonna be amazing, whatever this touches. And, um, so with the album, this is kind of jumping forwards and backwards a little bit, but um, with the album, we ended up kind of writing some demos and then I think, what did we do? It was like, it was like okay, like that's 70% sneak. Like that You Fly Me, that arrangement and everything. He just got in, he got on, it was, it was, I hope he doesn't mind me, me saying, but it was, it was like, it was a love letter to his partner, you know, and that, yeah, mate, let me do some scratches on it, yeah? It's going to go, ah, 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 yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's why it's low cuts on it. You know, it's like, right. he, uh, yeah, it's like he he wrote that. And I was like, my God, like these drums, this is, this is it. And then it was like, oh, recording a bit of triangle and some shakers and stuff. And I think, if I remember right, when he went in, to record that I I wasn't there I just already put the drums down and it was like right okay because when you're doing an audio love letter to your partner do you know what I mean you don't want to fucking scrap you know or whatever there's a huge amount of respect between us you know where it's like mm, maybe yeah knowing and, and knowing when something's not right and having um, 
being able to swallow whatever it is, you know, and be like, actually, I don't think I'm needed. All right. I yeah. don't think it's necessary. You know, what's ace is when someone comes back and is like, nah, you are needed and you are going on it. That's cool. You know, but for someone to come forward and, and just be like, I'm not so sure. It's cool because it can start a transaction. Maybe someone's saying that because they feel uncomfortable or maybe they feel really sure about it. But if someone comes back and says like, you know what, you are like, I, I can hear what you should be doing or oh, I think you should go here or that can like instill a massive amount of confidence when you yeah. don't normally have it, you know. Um, so, nice. yeah, um, but the You Fly Me, so... Basically, after the after the Central Eating Two, we made that track. It was like, yeah, there's a there's a go. This is what we're sounding like, you know. It did pretty well. It was received, you know. And then it was only a couple of months before, like guys doing EP, were like, let's go, let's just, you know. And this whole time, mate, was like, um, what could it put? It's just like fireworks going off, you know. My life, all of a sudden, I'm not in Asda. I did this one thing, and now I'm going all over the place. And in my downtime, um, I'm going to recording studios, which are only bedrooms. <laughs> you know what I mean? The bedrooms with some good kitting. Yeah. Uh, but to me, I like I, I was like, it's like fuck, man. I've, I've done it. I've done it. I'm, this is it. I'm, you know, yeah. And uh, so yeah, we were offered a. We were offered a. Uh, we we made the EP, which was another thing, just making stuff from the ground up, and and at that point, we wanted to use the bassline that Sneak had first done, which is Fathead, the that one. That's like, that was something that he'd had up his sleeve, and he just mm. saved it for this one time when it was just me in the room. It was brilliant, but we we wanted to record that. We were like this thing that we did that's who we are that's an important part of it it's not just about sampling some beats and cutting and recording some bass on it it's like we do it all between us just let us do that as well yeah and mark's like for sure go for it you know what i mean go for it and then we bring back this thing and it's like you know whatever and they fuck it mark was just like parker this is dope you know and that's what you want to hear I love every time you refer to when you say about him saying parker i just imagine jameson that was Spider-Man. Parker! Yeah, no, Parker! Yeah, all the, <laughs> that's kind of like, oh, man. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Parker, put that bloody camera down! Or, you know, yeah, like, I, that, I was holding a camcorder on the uh, the other stage at Glastonbury, you know, like 17,000 people. I'm just having the time of my life like this. And we're actually doing a gig. <laughs> but I'm just fucking filming. And he's like, Parker! Yeah, yeah. I've got some footage from that as well. I'm just going to get it converted. I've got these old... Oh, nice. I've, yeah, I've got these old tapes. So that bollocking, to anyone who's listening, if you want to actually hear that, uh, it did actually happen, and it'll probably be on YouTube uh, in a few months. Yeah. Hey, guys. I hope you're enjoying Winter DJ. I wanted to create a product for the listeners to be able to support the show and for the guests as a token of gratitude for being on. So I've teamed up with SureShot Shop, to create some Winter DJ 45 RPM adapter clamps. These are my weapon of choice as a 45 adapter as they add stability and grip to aid you in any setup. These are available for £25 each plus flat fee postage from winterdj.bigcartel.com and if you'd like to see the other models you can buy and also customise, check out sureshotshop.com. 
If you're a DJ who's been wanting to get into production but don't know where to start, or if you're looking to level up your beat making skills, look no further than howtomakemusic.co's online courses and personal coaching. Chris, the founder of How To Make Music, as well as knowing a load about music production, was once a DJ, and so his courses are ideal for the likes of us. From the Music Theory Essentials course to the incredibly thorough Ableton Turbo Start, there's a ton of good information to get you developing your music production skills. In addition to the video tutorials, there's a load of reference guides, and they even offer personal coaching to get you where you want to be even quicker. And if you buy any course at howtomakemusic.co using the code ONCEADJ at checkout, you'll receive 10% off. So what are you waiting for? Visit howtomakemusic.co. So at what point did you bring in the, the, the friend of yours from college? I'm sorry, I forget his name. The, for, to doing the, yeah, for doing the graphics. Yeah, so Chris, right, this is another cool story. So Chris Drury, right, so before I did the DMC thing, I said I was at art college and that, and I met Chris there. We became best friends because he was on this corner table where I thought all the coolest lads were. They were all into hip-hop, they all smoked weed. And that, you know, like fucking tick tick. <laughs> the, bed, the bedstone to being cool when you're 17. Oh, come on. You know, and uh, yeah, what happened was I slowly started making my way over to their table and like, which did the ads in of the guys that were on the tables where I was originally. And I was sorry about that, but it's just the way it was. <laughs> but um, me and Chris became best friends and. Uh, and then when I went to retake the the year, like Chris passed, Chris was actually just as bad as me in terms of, you know, the amount of fun time that he liked to uh, have whilst at art college, you know, but his natural talent shone through. So when it came to crunch time, you know, he could adhere and, and, and just do great work and, 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 uh, and, and get through. Uh, whereas I didn't, I just didn't, you know, I had issues with finishing things and, you know, which as I'm finding out, uh, there's a bit more to it, you know, with the ADHD and all that. But anyway, I didn't finish. Chris went on to Salford Uni and ended up sharing a house with various people, one of whom was Sneak. Yeah? Right. Yeah. So... Me and Sneak, like, me and Chris parted ways and I missed him. I remember, like, just, yeah, it, was, it wasn't it was it good because things weren't working right for me for a little bit and uh, I missed him and, like, all that, that whole crew from Runcorn, like, but Chris in particular. And, uh, yeah, like, so this one time we had a, a, a gig at the Jazz Cafe with Ray and, Ray and Christian. I think this is 1998 or 1999. They, there was a City Life magazine and Chris was with Sneak in a newsagent and we were all in this City Life. It's a photo. And they opened this page and he's like, fucking no way that's Dan. Like this. And Sneak's like, what, you know him? And he's like, yeah, I used to go to college with him. And Sneak's like, I'm, I'm in a band with him. And, and he's like, no. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Sneak comes and tells me, he's like, do you know this guy, Chris Drury? I'm like, yeah, I know Chris. Like, and he's like, I've been living with him for like however many years. And they're, they've built this relationship and they're like, they're busy mates and having a buzz. But in their way, 
it's fucking crazy. And and then and it was this jazz cafe gig. I, I got to meet uh, Sneak's brother, Jazz, and Chris came down with him. So I got to see Chris. So here I am going on for months at this guy, like how this thing is meant to be. And it was our destiny to be this two-piece band doing this thing. Chris turns up and I'm like, this is weird as fuck. Like, this is mental. And it was like, it was a beautiful moment. I'm like, shit, man. Like my old Bezzy mate, my new Bezzy mate, let's go, you know. And what transpired was it turned out that like um, they had to move house. And uh, they ended up getting this shared house, right, in a, in a, in a part of Manchester, yeah, Heat and Mersey. And I went to visit them. And when I saw this house, it looked like something from Neighbours, mate. I don't know whether you remember the start of Neighbours when they go down Ramsey Street and you've got, like, these massive, like, suburban dream, like, dream houses. It yeah. looked like one of them, you know. So I was like, what's fucking... I need to be living here. I want to live here. I don't want to live like there's mice in the fucking gaff where I am. I don't want, I want to come and live with, you know. And, and I went around there and, and, and opened the door and it's chaos. It's just chaos. Like maybe nine or ten peeps live in there. And I'm like, fucking hell, man. How do I get in here? What, what you know, what, what, you know. And anyway, it was just crazy. Like, I, 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 it was just like this moment of like that affirmation, you know, that like and just instilling this belief that like this is, this is what has to happen. And Chris was in like a bummy job, but he'd basically gone on to do art, to do design at, at uni and had acquired all like, you know, quite a sick skill level. And um, I did end up moving in and getting a room. And um, Chris was doing a job and he didn't like it. And uh, he would uh, go to the pub on the way home and go and sit in this pub with a sketchbook and draw people in there just like people watching and just but from his like perspective like the way he draws now he's always drawn that i'd say warped it is warped you know i guess like that's the best thing and i don't mean that in a negative way i just mean warped as in the way he sees things and the way he sees people gives him the ability to be able to draw like he does and anyway i'm like uh chris like fuck your job yeah like uh we're gonna like what we're gonna do like you you do some artwork for us oh, that that was the so the two player ep it's like chris we need artwork here's your graphic design job you know like you're gonna book for me and sneak he did like and then um it was like right it's all about wrestling audio wrestling and fingers and because we'd already come up with the name like we're going to be called finger thing that was me mark and sneak in the back of a bus on one of these rain christian tours just absolutely blitzed and brainstorming because that's all it ever was you know you're just constantly mm, making up stuff that you end up being the inspiration that you take home with you and to sort of you know keep making music and whatnot I mean, like yeah yeah gonna be called finger thing and um yeah that was it chris is like right okay well i'll just draw these wrestlers then and they're got but they're gonna be made out of fingers and shit like that like oh okay <laughs> and then he started doing them and it would take them to Grand Central and show them, you know, and they're like, this is brilliant, keep going. Next thing, they're like, right, do some stickers, you know, and uh, and then um, when it came to, like, the, uh, the album concepts and everything, it was like, Chris, just fuck your job off, yeah? We're going to go on tour. You're going to come with us. I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to, you're going to come. So there's going to be drawings while we're playing. Do you know what I mean? And um, 
and that was it. That was that was what we that was what we kind of in, intended to do. So it was. I think it was just with me sort of having this level of belief or like and just in, infecting Chris with it as well, you know, to the point where he did. He just sacked it off and he, and, and we just, yeah. And it, it was mad. It was mad. Because at the same time, like, um, or like about six months after, I got like the first sort of Gorillas promo and they're talking about this cartoon band. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. What the fuck, man? That's our shit. Like, where the fuck's? Who's this? Where you know? And then, and and then, they. Uh, I remember reading the uh, the promo sheet. They got the the single and reading the promo sheet for it, and they'd already created the characters. So there was no talk of like because they kept it all secret for a few years, you know. And it was just talking about these kind of cartoon band members. Like, fuck's sake, man! Did my head in. But anyway, we just carried on. It was like you know, we we are. We're on our own. We're on our own um, plane, and um, it, it, once we, uh, there was a point actually after doing the first album, like and and where it was like, it, how are we gonna tour this? How are we gonna do it? And it was like, right, we're gonna have a screen, you know, you're gonna make these visuals, and we're gonna we're gonna have them going whilst we're whilst we're playing we'll go either side of the screen but we're practically facing each other all like you know yeah and it's like you know you'll get paid we'll all get paid the same amount everything you know that's that's how that's how we'll do it <laughs> yeah and, and you did three albums didn't you in total yeah did three albums uh that was like part of the that was part of the contract. We did like numerous EPs and bits and bats, mm. but as part of the the Grand Central thing, after we'd done that first EP, it was like sign a three album deal. And me and Sneak were that naive. Yeah, we Sneak was like, "Oh, I'm a member of the Musicians Union." It's like, "Oh, sick." He's like, "They've got a lawyer." Oh, sick. So we'll send him the contract, and he can say like, you know, whether it's kosher or you know whatever. And, so we did. It's like great. It's neat. It's like all you got to do is join the musicians' union. I'm like, I'd love to be part of the musicians' union anyway. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like there again, it's like that affirmation. Like you know, that I think I needed or wanted so much, but didn't say. And um, yeah, that it came back. The lawyer's like, yeah, it's all legally binding and all kind of above board. He didn't say it's not a great. It's not a great deal, that guys, or anything yeah. like that. It's just like it, there's nothing illegal on that. No. Was it not as good as it could have been? Then, do you think? Uh, Are you happy to like? It, it depends if you're happy to talk about that or not. So, I mean, we paid, we paid a, a month's rent with the first payment we got. You know, we paid a month's rent each uh, for the first album. I don't know whether it's about like what's fair or what's unfair or or any of that stuff or people might like see that as like a negative thing what i would do is just flip that and say like i've been given the chance of a lifetime you know mm. and that for me was priceless and i didn't actually care uh the money and all that we were like doing so many gigs i was earning more money than i'd ever earned in my entire life i thought i was you know set and uh, in that sense um, 
Yeah, but it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't that great. But Grand Central was a small label, and the punt they yeah. were taking on us. Like I knew the music that we were delivering was not your standard listening, and that would take a lot of bravery and a lot of confidence from like <clears throat> anyone holding a purse. <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean, yeah. and being part of a business. And um, anyway, but yeah, so that's yeah, that's what happened. And and we would anyway to go back to the naivety. We did like the first snow bombing, which is this big like festival. It happened in 2000 mm. and it was like finger finger launching the main event, uh, this album and whatnot. And there's this guy, Steve Smith, who uh, put on deep percussion festival and all these huge, does all this huge stuff. Like he basically really knows his onions about anything like that. And we were like, yeah, we got this, we got this, we've got an option. We've got an option, like we, we, the, this album's coming out, and then we can decide whether we want to do another album with them or not. And he just started laughing, and he's like, <laughs> you know, like I think it's them that have got the option, guys. I think it's, I think it's them, <laughs> you know. But we were just, you know what I mean? We were just like so, just yeah, like just plucked out of whatever and just thrust right into this situation, you know, like being on a roller coaster that's already moving or something. I don't know. It's hard to or. <clears throat> you know, and all we did was just like go for it, and on in, in every every sense, anything that we were asked to do or whatever, we just really like it was it was everything at that time. Yeah. Was it was it a consistent schedule then over those three albums? Like, was the were you touring as much and stuff and and recording as much? And did the did the energy and the enjoyment stay throughout? Yeah, but like, so uh, I mean. To be really, I mean, we were enjoying ourselves a lot, you know, every day, you know. <laughs> um, so when we came home from touring, uh, we just came home with half the rider and everything else that we needed, you know, and we would just live pretty much at home. The, the life that we were doing, do you know what I mean? Like, and, we're, and, and, and like, I, I'm... So we're in that shared house, right? We're in that shared house and all of a sudden it's like, right, you've got a record deal. You've got this. What would you like to do with it? You know, right. I need this, this. I want a fucking, I want an NPC. Uh, I want, uh, yeah, DJ Noise. I want you to get in touch with him. I want to do a track with Noise. You know, all this lot. I'd already been doing gigs with Noise and met his manager, Mick Mottazed, who was the guy who put Fresh 97 on. Yeah. So all these crazy things are happening all of a sudden like I'm doing this thing where I'm, I've got this outsider's view of a, of a festival and what it's like as a punter going and then a year and a half later I've got an insider's view of, of, of what it is and it's a very different very very different thing and almost in a sense that innocence is once you lose that of the mystique of like gigs music the way that you listen to music over all that time so you know I suppose like when you start putting turning your head to like making stuff and creating there has to be a level of scrutiny towards everything that has come before it and, and music that you, I started to listen to music differently I started to listen to hip hop differently everything because I was just examining it and ripping it apart mm. and, and teaching myself to and, and listening to all different types of music all together back to back and uh, to as, as, as like a almost trying to condition myself to like being more open-minded to, than, than what I 
the, what I thought I needed to, you know. So I would, you know, like learn it, that thing about Sneak being into like the jazz and funk and soul and all that. I'm metal and hip hop, yeah? And it's like, there ain't, like the hip hop, of course, with sampling and all the funk, soul and jazz, like, yeah, but I just didn't have access to those records. I wasn't listening to that stuff. I heard it via the um, uh, via the um, means of uh, of hip hop music, which is which is sampling, you know. Um, but from the outset, I just um, <clears throat> it was just like a sponge. Everything and and living that life, being on tour all the time, being surrounded by people who are not only in bands making music themselves, all different types of stuff, percussionists listening to you know three guys chanting in a fucking forest somewhere and nodded his head and you know like what are you listening to like put it on i'm like what fucking how you know wow you know and i'm like that's amazing like that you buzz off that you know and it's like what what is, you know and just having that inquisitive nature with everything and everyone all that time and like and also like you know hadn't even been making tunes that long you know so it was all just this <clears throat> But we're all in the same house. We're all under one roof, you know, with all these other crazy dudes, like different creatives, lovely, lovely people. Um, but just having like a, a pretty lawless and uh, just having incredible experiences and everything just fed right back into the music. And I and, and, and as soon as I move in, I'm bringing the PlayStation, the chip PlayStation with everything, any, any, every game under the sun that you can think of. And, like wrestling and, and just far too many video games in fact you know but the, the the wall of videos would go floor to ceiling you know yeah yeah that kind of thing did you did you at any time kind of feel like it was too much and like it would have been like healthy to just just step out of it for a few weeks every once in a while no not at all no not for not even for one second like it was kind of like I felt like I'd found my I felt like I'd found my tribe, you know, at that that yeah. at that time. Like it wasn't just Chris and Sneak. Once I moved into that house, it was Droid and Bong, and Mike, and just like and Tim, like these other peeps. So here's one for you then. Um, so I I DJed with a band for a bit. It was it was as much as anything. It was for the social aspects, and I'd just like scratch on. I don't know three tunes and fire off a few samples. Nothing too crazy, but with that, I think for me, I think of scratching as as more of like a freeform instrument. And what I struggled with is because we, you know, we we go and gig and stuff like that, and it, and it's just like rehearsing and doing the same thing every time. I really struggled with like how were you with that because you got to be tight when you're performing at these festivals and things like did you have room to play around or 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 were you happy to just stick to the the exact sort of blueprint I still have and never have done the same thing the same consecutively like any time anyone's seen finger thing or anything uh that's, I think that's the thing about routines. I actually, I don't call, I don't use that word because like that's something where you, it's like this and it has to be, it then has to fit to that parameter. And and I have trouble up here with that. I, I, I'm like, um, 
it's just going. That's all I can say. It's just going. And I'm there. I am there. I'm just probably not where you expect me to be. <laughs> like, yeah. I, 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 like with the finger thing stuff, and that's why I love playing with Sneak. I love, you know, it's just this heat, like, and that jazz thing. It's like that freedom. And, like, I, yeah, I, I, I just have great difficulty with doing the same thing, the same yeah after it and so even like all the cuts and everything um as long as i used the samples that i was asked to use i would generally do something different you know um and that would not be for the like i just i, I wouldn't be able to do it the same if i tried if you see what i mean and yeah. um like uh, so when it came down to like recording when it came down to recording like solos and stuff like that with the finger thing stuff, a lot of it like would just be sit there and I would just keep going. You know, it wasn't like, oh right, you've got 16 bars. Okay, I've been working on it for three weeks. Go. None of that. It's just like, just let me go for a bit. I'll just go, you know, and then we'd go back and like pick certain bits like fucking hell, what you did yeah. there is really good. I'm like, okay, let's go record. I'll do that again, no problem. So with with finger thing then what what was it that stopped you from doing um, doing the fourth album was it because it was the end of the contract or was there other opportunities that had come up? Um, so there's some massive in, in in the times so in between those albums, huge changes were going down uh, in Grand Central behind the scenes, uh, and I am comfortable. And I do want to talk about all this, uh, actually. Um, so, so we're part of this. We're part of this thing, and we're making real noise. You know, the albums we're getting like eight out of ten in NME. For them, that's a mm. big deal. You know, like um, so we were being received really well. The opportunities were all still coming. Ray and Christian. Mark had this great play. Like Ray and Christian was like this different thing, which was actually bigger. It was bigger, you know. He's got this label as well. Um, money, pressures, whatever, these things. I can't imagine. I can't because I I because I have anxiety. I fucking would go ballistic over something being moved. Or, you know, and the idea of having a business and, and being able to juggle these things and have people's lives and responsibilities like that. I, I, I can't, you know, but I, I can imagine how difficult that would get if things start going wrong or not going how you wanted them to go. And these just changes were happening at Grand Central. It was like, mm, I don't know. It was just like, Mark ended up moving down to London uh, because that was where I think he needed to be, you know. Um, but the business and everything was in Manchester. And uh, the changes that came after that just it didn't work for the label that well. And subsequently, because they didn't work for the label that well, I don't think they really worked for the artists that well. Or we started to see things. We developed like deep relationships with all the people that worked at that label. And um, yeah, I, you know, see, everybody was just working really hard. And I don't know, like, pe like things, different people coming into place. And then like just these changes happening. And when the changes sort of happened, like they just, 
I don't know, they, there was like just stuff happening for the negative rather than for the positive. So it was just a little bit like something's not quite right. Uh, no, nothing would ever get said and we don't know we're just artists that pop in there and we just like hanging out there because like we were like these just naughty kids who let everyone let's get away with whatever and we just hang out and make people laugh and uh, you know like just every everything was like jovial whereas like you know as part of a business it's a very different thing and um yeah like i to be dead honest i wanted to be on ninja tune I wanted to wanted to release music on other labels. I wanted to kind of like I can't remember. I just wanted to be able to do stuff. Yeah, I wanted to be on Ninja, and, and it was it, it was a lot to do with Scruff actually, and seeing how how Scruff was going down, and uh, what it was was like Mr. Scruff's manager was this guy Gary, and uh, it was like right, here's what we're going to do. Yeah, We're going to go and tap this guy up and we're going to say, we want you to manage us. We want to kind of do what, what Scruff, you know, is doing and we think we're capable. Are you up for it? That was that was the thing. Can you hear a scratchy noise? Is that noise? the dog again? It's a fucking dog trying <laughs> to get in, man. All right, so, yeah. So what happened was, this is, this is all pivotal stuff, right? And this is during superhero music. All right. The okay. second album. We go to this guy and we're like, right, we want what scruff. We 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 think we're as good as scruff, and we want to do that. You know, can you can you facilitate that? And he's like, right, come, we'll meet. You know, this guy, and it's just like this guy's just fucking. You know, scruff's just huge, and he's with Ninja, Grand Central. It's something's going wrong. It's going. It's not going right. It's like it's. I hate to say it, but you would sort of be like, "Shit, man!" It's like it's it's. I don't know whether it's gonna fold or or whatever, but like it's like, oh, it's a sinking ship. Yeah, we want we need to get out. We need to just sort out our own future, you know. And I'm like, I won't be on fucking Ninja Tune, you know. That's that's where we're going next. And um, yeah, Scruff was on Ninja. This guy was ma managing Scruff. It's like, right, do the math. Let's go see that guy, you know. And um, he was brilliant, actually. Gary was like, yes, I think I can do something with you and uh, I'm willing to take it on. I'm like, really? All right, you know, and and that's when things really started going bonkers. Like, we shook hands and it was like the new chapter had started, the new, what was gonna come to us next via like one in the world or whatever but grand central's a sinking ship okay we'll just fucking hop onto another one and and we had superhero music at the time the first thing gary did was like i'm going to bring this guy from coda agency to meet you called doug and uh, doug traveled up I'm like fucking hell man he's traveling up from london to see us in manchester that's wicked and he came up and we met and chatted and next thing we're on coda and and then uh, and and I tell Gary the idea about how we want Chris doing the visuals. We want to go out when we go out on the road. We're like this. We have a screen. We take the screen everywhere. He's like, right, writes it all down. Doug, this is what they want to do. You know, uh, right? You need to do the artwork. You know, Chris, how do you, you know? So learn whatever you need to do to make these animations, these little bits. Put it together. Have it at home so you can do it. Where we've got the music. And um, 
yeah, we're going out and playing that stuff. And then this one time we get a call and it's like, right, um, it was the Fringe Festival. This is 2002. And uh, it's like, right, DJ Shadow is doing a, a gig in Edinburgh uh, for the Fringe in a warehouse. And uh, Anti-Pop Consortium was supposed to be supporting and they can't make it. Are you guys up for it? You know, 5,000. 5,000 people, I don't know, no, 3,000 maybe in this fucking like hangar. Like, yeah, let's go. This is it. This is the moment. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is the, this is the fucking. Yeah. <laughs> Mate, it was just like, bear in mind, this guy to me was the pinnacle. You know, he was what I saw as like, that he is, that's what I, that's how I want to be. That's how that I want to be like that, you know. And, um, yeah, we went up and Chris couldn't come. They couldn't facilitate visuals for us. They were like, all you're going to be able to do is have a turntable and uh, the, the bass, you know. And uh, I, had a, I had a mini disc player, I think, with some of, the, some of the backing for some of the tracks. But we'd already got the new album, so we got the new album tunes, Scrap, which was way more heavily... I mean, we were, we were on it, you know. And we did it, and we went fucking nuts. I mean, we couldn't believe it because we're all doing all this stuff for the first time. Is that with like the more drum and bassy sort of stuff that you did? It was like the bit. It was kind of the shuffled stuff. So yeah, like or uh, uh, like Black Sabbath, like Doctor Who, whatever. Um, yeah, that, and then we're doing like head to head, Big Monsters, Crush Cities, superhero music, fucking bangers that people had never heard, you know, and they were fucking, you know, they were responding in kind and it was just like, it was a real moment. And uh, we went, we were back in the dressing room, massive grins on our faces, you know, sweating carbs, there's a knock at the door, yeah? And it's Shadow with two T-shirts and he's just like, I just uh, brought these for you. Um, they're just like the, the tour shirts that I'm going with at the moment. I just wanted to say, like, I, I thought that was brilliant. I've never seen, well, I've actually only ever seen something like that once before. And it's a guy, Miles from Breakistra with Cut Chemist, because Miles plays yeah. double bass and Cut Chemist was like cutting a beat. But I, And he's like, but I, it was just a freestyle and I've never heard anyone arrange a song and do it like a song. And Josh... Right, yeah, <laughs> I know, you know, and uh, I remember I had this Two Sisters record down on the floor, right? I had some records pulled out, there's this old electro record, Two Sisters Summit, and he's there and he's like, Oh, I see you got Two Sisters 1984, da da da, on the Sunday label, like this, like a like a catalogue, like, like someone out of you bet. Like someone out of you bet, mate. It was fucking crazy, and I was. I, it was actually, and I didn't want to do his head in, and it, but it wasn't that. It was actually on a French label. It wasn't the American release that he thought. But I didn't want to be like, no, actually, you got it wrong. Yeah. Who would do that? I just didn't say anything. I'm like, yeah, two sisters, you know, like this. Anyway, uh, we saw him, and it was just this pivotal moment. I mean, mate, I can't like one of the basically one of the best moments of my entire life and subsequently what happened was was like shadow really buzzed off it he's got his uk tour for private press coming up do you want to support him on the whole tour you know I'm like yes and it's him 
Beans from Antipop Consortium and RJD2 wow. who've just brought out Dead Ringer <laughs> you know next thing we're in you know Manchester Academy sold out you know little old us you know watching RJD2 uh, chilling out with Beans and then on the odd occasion bumping into Shadow and having like a few moments to just kind of talk and it was just me like and like his manager was fucking horrible to us yeah this dude I, I, I'm I'm not gonna go there's no but he's just like RJ was like befriended and he's like do you want to come on the bus do you want to come on the tour bus and play some FIFA like sick really of course we do and by the way I'm in FIFA I'm gonna kick your ass you know like go, so go up get up and his manager comes up like after like five minutes manager goes, uh, guys sorry but it's a uh, crew only on the bus yeah like and he's like we're just going to play some games you're not going you know and he's like yeah but you know rules are rules I'm afraid I just can't have it you're going to have to leave guys you know like this and like literally like it was what a fucking asshole like just, you know just like this, you, we were you know what I mean I not even that old and just like I don't know just lording it like that and just being like oh you can't be on it he wasn't like Josh was up at the other end of the bus you know what I mean we weren't doing anyone's head yeah. in and he just had to be like that and he had to do that you know and, and then every every time that we saw him it's just like yeah you're that guy that's how you do things do you know what I mean and um, yeah, fuck me off that dude anyway but um, yeah like Josh so we go round and at times we get talking and he'd be like, how did you record? You know, like, oh, what NPC, got? you know, like, how did you record certain bits, you know? And I was like, yeah, I've got an NPC 60 and would have like a, would MIDI it up and bounce off the tracks separately. And I was like, cause you think you put like two together and like use, you know, like and do the programming separately. Like, and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, but I like the way you did it and all that, you know, like. I'm like it's not bad, is it, getting your music you know? from Shadow? So that affirmation, yeah, that, that kind of stuff where I really did. Um, it's like I genuinely like that thing about imposter syndrome or feeling like I do I have the right to be there? I've always had that always my entire life when I go in places and I don't know I would always feel like alone and but then to have an occasion where just with certain people say something like that after that I was it was like that validation yeah. do you know what I mean and it was like and that and that's what I, that's and that whole tour that's what it did it kind of validated us as being something that like no nah, we are doing it you know we are you know yeah <laughs> Yeah, even though record sales and all that and the way things were, you know, we went over to Russia one time and, uh, you know, we we got told that we were selling big in Russia and uh, the <laughs> we went over and um, the promoter, this guy, his name was Boris, and um, and he's like, yeah, guys, you, you sell big here. You sold like 20 copies. I, wow, 20 <laughs> copies, <laughs> you know. Not really having, you know, like somebody says you're selling well or whatever, not having that perspective, all right, well, only 500 copies were pressed. You know, it wasn't, there was no streaming. Yeah. There was no sales, you know, it was just like anything we got given, we gave it people. You know, you get promos or you get copies. I don't even have that much fast stuff. I've just given it to yeah. people, you know, because um, it just, I don't know. Yeah, like... Easy come, easy go. It's exciting though, isn't it? 
that's all it was, mate. The whole thing is just pure energy, adrenaline, you know, for good or for bad. It was just that whole that whole period. And, uh, you know, all I did was just embrace it all. I just got tated 24-7 the whole time. And uh, which ultimately, you know, uh, didn't do us any favours, you know. Hey, guys, I hope you're enjoying Winter DJ. I wanted to create a product for the listeners to be able to support the show and for the guests as a token of gratitude for being on. So I've teamed up with SureShot Shop to create some Winter DJ 45 RPM adapter clamps. These are my weapon of choice as a 45 adapter as they add stability and grip to aid you in any setup. These are available for £25 each plus flat fee postage from wunterdj.bigcartel.com and if you'd like to see the other models you can buy and also customise, check out showshotshop.com. If you're a DJ who's been wanting to get into production but don't know where to start, or if you're looking to level up your beat making skills, look no further than howtomakemusic.co's online courses and personal coaching. Chris, the founder of How To Make Music, as well as knowing a load about music production, was once a DJ, and so his courses are ideal for the likes of us. From the Music Theory Essentials course to the incredibly thorough Ableton Turbo Start, there's a ton of good information to get you developing your music production skills. In addition to the video tutorials, there's a load of reference guides, and they even offer personal coaching to get you where you want to be even quicker. And if you buy any course at howtomakemusic.co using the code ONCEADJ at checkout, you'll receive 10% off. So what you're waiting for, visit howtomakemusic.co. So what was it then that, that kind of caused the wheels to fall off? I'm sorry, I'm saying that loaded. I don't know like how it kind of like tied up in the end, but because you, you said that there's been ups and downs, but it sounds like so far, just aside from Shadow's manager being a bit funny, that's the only real thing, I guess, so far. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so what happened was like... Um the relationship that we had with Gary that we were that we were building was like it was it was to look to the future and have like a, a more long term approach. Now, bear in mind, I've been given validation by somebody who I'd you know it's like on the front just the Jimi Hendrix of sampling. Sure. You know uh, uh, that's what he was quoted as like uh, you know the enemy said that but it's like we got eight out of ten out of the enemy if they say he's the Jimi Hendrix of sampling right let's, you know I just started sampling more and more heavier and heavier yeah more samples and wanting to be on Ninja at this time right and even like there's other people I know other artists at this time would have been feeling this but there was a, a shift in the industry where all of a sudden, if you used samples, it was a much different game because people were starting, the lawsuits were coming thick and fast. Yeah. yeah, and people, all of a sudden, it's like, you could make the best music ever as it got samples in it, you know? And that's that's what, that's what how it started to come. That's how the questions were coming. And it's like, don't fucking, what are you saying? You know, like, that I can't sample, you know? Yeah, and uh, so we wrote a body of music, which was the next, uh, and uh, uh, with the intention of this music being on Ninja Tune, and um, we met Book Sixty Five at the Leeds and Reading, uh, Carlin, whatever you call it, festival. Uh, 
and uh, got on swimmingly. It turned out that he'd seen the DMC, and he's like, "Yeah, I used to watch. You know, I'm like no way. Like you're Bog sixty five, and he did. Uh, he did. A, he did this. He did like a tune over. He did Wicked and Weird over uh, No One Knows by Queens of the Stone Age." And I was just like, that's one of the most incredible things and how brave, you know, like just that here's someone else who's kind of loves different types of shit and but we'll throw it together in yeah. a sort of hip hop capacity. And uh, anyway, yeah, we ended up doing a tune, which is like uh, ultra heavy. It's like, okay. And then um, these, other, these other ones where I was sampling more and more stuff and just the the amount of samples that I, that I used like tripled and I was started to use quite a lot on superhero music and some, some other bits and um yeah um we ended up with this body of stuff and going on a tour and the idea was to get onto SJM uh, as the new promoter uh so that we could go bigger than just clubs uh it would be more like uh, academies and stuff like that and uh, Ninja Tune would come and see this show and then they'd want the album, you know. And uh, the idea was to, like, grow Finger Things, so we came up with Finger Thing and the Fiends, which was, like, percussionists, uh, because I was buzzing off the incredible Bongo band and I thought, wouldn't that be sick to have a live version of that, but yeah. sort of Finger Thing. And um, also, and that was Chris, like the original percussionist that would listen to all the wacky sounds from the jungle or whatever, or like, you know, proper raw percussion from way back, tribal stuff. And and uh, and, and Steve Brown, this other ultra-talented dude uh, playing keys and that. All my friends, basically, and, and our friends, uh, uh, Ricky and Matt uh, on congas. And uh, it's like, right, for a laugh, we're going to do uh, Apache. We're going to do a version of Apache. And uh, but I'm gonna have a big scratch solo in the middle and basically bring like what you know bring it up to date, so that we could do that live with all of our other tunes. Okay, great. And we had this show at the ICA, and um, it was it was for a laugh. It was it was it was kind of like that was not what I wanted. Uh, it's like all this stuff that had the ultra heavy samples. That was what I wanted our future, or what I, my vision for at least where I wanted, where I would fit in, and what I would bring to the table. Aside from you know all of S sneak stuff as well, and um, yeah, uh, they came to the to the ICA gig in the Lon uh, London, and um, yeah, we did all the stuff, and uh, and then you know Gary, we were like, right, okay, what's what's the crack? You know, they were like, well, yeah, I don't think they're gonna take the stuff you know, that's got all the samples, but they love Apache, you know? And I was like, are you fucking kidding? You know, like I, I, I did, and that was a very bitter pill for me to swallow at the time. What transcended over the next few months was like a breakdown of like the stuff that we'd made was like, uh, Ninja had agreed to release the Nebula album in America and Canada because Grand Central didn't have distribution. Yeah. So it was, I already felt like we got a foot in the door. Do you know what I mean? I was like, fuck man, it's happening, you know? And um, yeah, Gary was like, look, you know, um, have you got, you, can you make, have you got some other ways of making these tunes? You know, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Cause I've just spent, you know, all of my time, all of my waking time obsessing over sound bites of stuff from elsewhere. I don't play keys. I don't do this. I don't, just the turntables and records, mate, you know, and videos and games. And that's where I get my sounds from. And, uh, and it actually, 
uh, crushed me, to be honest. It, um, it created like this massive shift where I lost all of my confidence um, and belief slowly. Uh, and it just took all the fun and everything out of all that excitement and not like all that energy that was, that was, that was, it was just like, it just started to fizzle out. And so we're smoking every single day, all day, you know, and, and, and everything else. And, you know, and I guess I'm still growing up, you know, and, um, being told things that I didn't like to hear and I'd grown like quite the ego, you know, from having these experiences and doing all this great stuff and, you know, being the, 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 that guy, you know, um, along with Sneak and Chris and everything, I had all this belief and it just, it was like, it was like, it was like a chink in the armour or whatever they call it, you know, like just, oh, like the start of a crack. It just started getting a bit bigger and I think it was my confidence, to be honest. It was it was because I I think I didn't believe that I could make it in any other way than using samples. Yeah. Uh and it was like, okay, and Gary's like, that it don't have to be the end. Like you, you can release the music yourself, you know, do it yourself. I'm like, okay, great. How do we do that? You know, we're still touring. We'll just press up a thousand CDs and you know go and sell them while you're doing a tour, sell the t-shirts and all the stuff because we had all the imagery and everything. Um, and that's what we did, you know, and we were making these mixtapes and stuff that we were kind of peddling. It was, But we were just, they weren't coming out on a label or anything. We were yeah. just selling them as part of the shop. And But, you know, it was like, in my heart of hearts, I wanted to be on Ninja. The reason we couldn't get on Ninja is because what, you know, they want Apache they put Apache out on a seven. Uh, but I was, you know, this is just me. This is just me, you know, being, you know, honest that like, I, it just didn't, I wanted the other, I wanted them to put the other shit out. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I just, I just didn't, I, it's kind of, I think I'd lost it. I'd lost like, because I'd lost like a bit of belief in myself and everything. It, 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 it um, right. And over this whole period while we're, we're touring and stuff, we're accruing a debt yeah to gary's company because the way that they did things they had this old office of people i i'm a kid who has come from having nothing and we're going doing this thing and all of a sudden i've got a manager you know and a management company okay they can just take care of everything you know i'm yeah. going to carry on doing this thing just give me a shout when i'm needed whatever so we're left off to our, doing our own devices which was that and there and then they're all doing the work and, and we're accruing this debt um and the account was at one point having you know so much money going through per year and then it just was coming down and down and down and down and the new music wasn't coming. You know, the, Gary had this 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 faith that because I was saying, or we were going around, we were saying rather that like it's on its way. We're doing the music, you know, it's it's coming. But it wasn't right, it wasn't right, you know. And it's like we've still got all that shit. We still listen back to it, and it's got some incredible elements and all these bits. And like you know, it's kind of like going back and looking at these like like a half-finished painting, yeah. like a, a half-finished, brilliant painting. So you see a bit of it, it's like, wow, look at that, but where's the rest? Mm. It's kind it's kind of like, it's kind of like the heart and just hearing these things and, 
yeah, I, I don't know what it was. I, I just, I was like, yeah, I just, it was like, if I can't sample, I can't, I, I can't be who, who I want to be. And that, it just, it just, yeah, it was like, it started to rot or something inside me. And I think, I don't think I became or was looking at making music the same. You know, I actually had my eyes on, I, I, so the debt that we started building up was so big that we started getting a bit scared. Yeah. Yeah. Like we were like, what, what, how are we going to pay this off? So we're all just living, we're, we're still living together, but we're all a bit depressed because it wasn't going how we wanted it to go. And all of a sudden it wasn't like you're going out and doing gigs and making this money. It's just like, no, you, you just, you've got the, there's this big ass debt, uh, which would go up and down as well. Yeah. You know, um, everything, our, our time with Gary was built on a handshake. So, yeah, what I did was I I was a bit like, right, uh I think I'm just gonna say I'm gonna I want some time off, you know. Uh and that's that's what I did. There was another another guy, an MC who had a project called The Real Dolls, and he was like, Would you produce the Real Dolls album? He asked me to be in the Real Dolls and bless him. And I really wanted to be that, you know. But like on the first day of going to play with the band. He didn't even tell them. He didn't tell them. You know, he's just like, oh yeah, there's a new guy, there's a new band member coming and he's going to produce the shit. The two lads who was in the room, they were doing it. You know, he yeah. didn't tell me this. He didn't tell me this at the time, but I walked into a fucking um, shitstorm. Very small shitstorm at the time, but like just something which was just so confusing from the very first moment. And, um, and I, I told Gary, like, I'm going to go and do this thing. I need some time off finger thing. To be really honest, the music, it's there, but it ain't right. You know, it's not. We'd, 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 we had the equivalent of an album that we'd sent to, that we'd sent to Ninja Tune, but it was like, it was like it was half. It just had this thing. It had this bit missing, which was the magic, I guess, or whatever, the inexplicable thing. But it was the stuff I, yeah I'd, I'd 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 lost faith i'd lost faith not only in 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 like the 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 future it wasn't what i had perceived and what i wanted so much for it to be it wasn't going to be that and i didn't know what the up what the other thing was all i knew that was to get, i had to get out of this debt yeah so i just said to gary like look i need some time off you know need a year out i'm going to go and do this other thing then I'm gonna come back fresh and we'll do the finger thing stuff and we'll honor all that and it'll all be cool. And it just never happened, you know. So effectively what happened was we just cut ties. Um, They, they, yeah, they came to see the real dolls thing because I'd intended to kind of carry on and have them do the real dolls thing because I saw that as like my ego even though I'd lost faith in the sampling, my ego was still there. So I believed I could produce an album, even though I'd never done that. You know, I had no fucking idea. <laughs> Just made beats and that, you know. But said I could do it. And um, yeah, it was a shame. And um, Sneaks, Sneaks, um, Sneak ended up uh, moving to Berlin. That was when he moved. Uh, I Like, it must have been, for me to come home one day and say, look, I, I need some time out from Think, I think, must have been fucking heartbreaking, 
it was heartbreaking for me. Yeah. Like I, I actually not only did a, a like sort of like call a, a timeout on it. It was like calling a timeout on our friendship, and that fucked me. Yeah. Like Chris, as well, and like Sneak, and like I. So I had a long-standing girlfriend, who was like you know also like a best friend, broke from that as well. Uh, thinking that everything that I was doing was for the right reasons, like I needed to go out on my own and find my own way. Not a good idea, man. <laughs> and uh, that is effectively sneak. I remember them loading up the car, and he's like, "He's like, Dan, I'm going to move to Berlin with Lena." You know, like they got married, and she didn't really rate Manchester. It's a bit too cold. <laughs> you know, for she she was from uh, Kuala Lumpur originally. They met in Kuala Lumpur, but she wanted to go to Berlin. You know, and sneak. I guess you know it was like that moment, the opportunity had knocked. You know, it had come. So it wasn't like Lena wouldn't be taking him away from anything anymore. It was like now we can go. So I think she made it all right with him. You know, where he was all right with it, but we were just fucking heartbroken. And I just went and moved into a flat on my own, thinking that me breaking off from everyone was the, you know, the best thing. And and unfortunately, like it was like that started to become like the the hardest time of my life, you know, for the next three years. I'd got into this relationship, a long distance relationship with someone that uh, it was like, it was it was it was so toxic, mate. And I, like, but at that point. Like that was kind of something that I, to me that was still quite a thrill, you know that kind yeah. of all, all of that shit. I really went for it. That's all I could really say. Um, and yeah, I just started to like it was just like this kind of self deterioration, and I started to um, distance myself from everybody, you know. And like I'd so I'd broken up with this kind of like like you know. My, like girlfriend, long time girlfriend, and then my best friends who I'd literally become family with. It had all broken. It had all ended, and then it was just me, you know. <sighs> yeah. Wow. So, what did that three years consist of then? It consisted of me. Uh, it just taking loads and loads and loads and loads of drugs. After receiving the news that like sampling was an issue. I, I I stopped scratching and uh, like I like at that time like cutting and everything it was like I'd found like you know it was weird like I guess with the finger thing you know experience it was like I'd found everything you know but then just it, at the same time it, there became a point where it's just that was no longer the case you know, and it was like the fallout or whatever you want to call it. Like Chris was in a relationship and wasn't too far away. And, you know, Sneak was okay in building this new life. And I was just in this flat and yeah, like it was kind of like my own choices and the things that I'd done, I only had myself to kind of talk it through with, yeah. which, you know, and I didn't want to listen really. So <laughs> Yeah, so it was just, yeah, like, more and more, you know, like, yeah, kind of taking drugs and, like, on my own, you know, and, like, pretending that everything was all right so I'd go out and still do, like, the real doll stuff and, 
make like this kind of different music with some other people but from the outset that was jarred from the outset so it was just like a, a sort of unfortunately a lot of things kind of going wrong or just not going right and i'd just come from that yeah do you know what i mean so it was just like just a feeling of being lost you know and I, and and I, and uh yeah um but there was there was a there was a mm, there was a um how could you say like yeah i was i was still gigging and i started like i was going and doing a lot of stuff in hungary because uh, that's yeah like where like that like this relationship uh the girl who was um seeing uh like in this long-term relationship with and she was a dj as well and kind of new promoters and stuff and um yeah, so and then I, I met these these other guys that did finger thing gigs, but then would go out and like spend time with them and go digging with them and like get these Hungarian breaks and all this stuff and all this shit. And mm. I've never lost, I never lost like my, I never lost my like passion for it. It was just like losing the outlet, you know. It was like losing the outlet for it, or or did I? Because then like other people will just would just say. Oh no! You just record the tracks, make your own CD, and pedal it yourself, and go and do these things. But I was just incapable of all of that, you know. Um, I think as well with doing something like that, something that you've repeatedly talked about is getting that affirmation. And I don't think self-releasing would necessarily tick those same boxes for you. That's not like that's you going. I think I'm all right. That's not someone putting their hand around you and going. You're all right. I'm going to put this out. Yeah, yeah. So I, I guess like, like a loss of a loss of like, yeah, a loss of confidence and a loss of faith and like this relationship that I was in was so toxic, so toxic. Right, that at first it was just like a fucking the like like the wildest ride that I could ever um, <laughs> like imagine. Because uh, I wanted to kind of like experience it, I guess, but it was actually like I'm a, I'm a nice guy and I'm, I'm very sensitive, and there's like, yeah, like stuff happened to me that I guess. So I'm going through this experience where I'm just taking shitloads of drugs and I'm a bit lost. I go through this experience where my self esteem actually, I actually started to receive some of the treatment that maybe I been dishing out through my 20s you know via just be, be it like being egotistical and you know going around and just doing you know whatever and just thinking that that's okay and it isn't you know and when that's and and, and when that came back to me in a in form of a relationship via someone who was all too comfortable with that shit like so comfortable that it just crushed me you know it crushed me like I um over those years, like I, I just, I, I, I self-destructed, I self-decimated, you know, and I, 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 and I was all, I was up for it, you know, I was actually up for it, so I was just continuing. There was no like, there was no like, what I'm doing is bad. I, I had like this little tiny bit at the bottom of my mind that knew that what I was doing, what was, was, was not right, and it wasn't good for me. But also, like, I also had this element where I was actually quite ashamed of what I was doing. So I wanted to keep it all really secret, you know. So I didn't tell anyone, you know. And 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 so I'm doing this stuff, which is really bad. 
and then I'm getting I'm in a relationship which is really bad and actually taking like some really vital parts of yourself of, of who you are as a person like stripping that down to to, to nothing actually and um yeah that's the way it went mate I was really close to like really close to it not going well I think what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to do a legendary first time ever third recording I'm alright with that basically I had to go off and meet someone so we stopped the recording there but there's so much more to get into that I thought it best to split this into a three parter So I hope you've enjoyed what you've heard and stay tuned for the final instalment of the Peter Parker story. Until then, see ya. Thanks for listening to the Once a DJ podcast. If you've got any questions or feedback or any suggestions for guests, please just get in touch with us at onceadjpodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at Once a DJ Podcast. Take care, and we'll speak to you soon. Uh, oh, that was nice.